This is Crime Connections, and we're your hosts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jackie. Today we'll be talking about two cases that happened here in our home state of Ohio. They both actually happened around the same time of night, the same month, and were 12 years apart. Now let's get into it. On Wednesday, February 28th in 2006, it was a normal Wednesday for 16-year-old Kelly Norman Jr. He got out of school and was hanging out with his two best friends at his grandfather's house. The boys decided they wanted to hang out with their other friends later that night at a party. They ended up on the edge of Faustoria at the James Marie Court Apartments. While at this party, the kids ended up getting into some alcohol. We don't know who all was at the party or who supplied the alcohol, but what we do know is while at this party, this would be the last time he or his friends would ever hang out again. Kelly was a good kid, and like many others you know, that good kids do get into alcohol. You may have been that good kid yourself. I know I was. So do not let this one detail prevent you from listening to all the facts. Kelly knew he had a curfew and he had to be home by 10 p.m. that night. And according to his mother, he stayed on track with it. He was never in trouble with the law and was liked by almost everyone. On that fateful night, temperatures, according to the Farmer's Almanac, was 19.4 degrees in that area. But with the wind chill, it felt more like 9 degrees. Kelly did not have a car, so if he needed to go anywhere, his mom typically took him. But this night, he was going to walk home. One of the girls at the party walked into the light where he was supposed to walk the rest of the way home, which would have been only a 34-minute walk in the opposite direction of where he was found. The walk from the apartments to the light she said she walked him was about a nine-minute walk. The girl who walked him to the light said she did it around 12.15. At about 1.45 a.m., a motorist claimed she saw a person walking in darker clothing on Stearns Road near where it meets New England Road. At 2.15 a.m., a driver claims they spotted a shoe in the roadway, according to the Review Times article provided to me by his mother. At 7.44 a.m., a passing motorist, which turned out to be a volunteer firefighter, noticed something strange and realized it was a dead body and called the police. I don't know. Just they said his shoe was in the middle of the road and there was a a firefighter was getting off work. It had been in Pemberville, maybe, and um, he was driving home. And he's noticed, I guess he hunts, so, so he like pays attention to the road. Mm-hmm. And he's seen the shoe in the road, and when he'd seen the shoe, he looked over in a ditch, and he's seen Kelly laying in the ditch. Yeah. He did have a black jacket on that night. So I was going to say, what was he wearing? Um, black tennis shoes, jeans, and a black coat. And I think he had a black baseball cap on, and it had dollar signs all over it. Uh, he didn't come home that night. Right. So the next morning when I went in his room, and he still wasn't in there, um, my mom was picking him up for school, and I was out on the porch pacing and crying. I'm like, Kelly didn't come home last night, and that's not like him. Right. And so my mom took the other kids to school. A uh, couple hours went by. One of Kelly's friends came to the house that wasn't in school anymore, and he's like, where's Kelly at? And I was like, I don't know. He didn't come home last night. What is going on? And he goes, well... They lived at Rising Sun. He said, we just left Rising Sun, and they said they found a body on Stearns Road. And uh, um, I was told that Kelly was at a party out that way that last night, and he left walking. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know? And he was like, oh, we'll just take you to the police station. So I had him take me up there, and I went in there, and um, dispatcher at the day, the day was, um, Stan Sayer was dispatcher yeah, that day. And um I went up to the window, and I told Stan, I said, Stan, my Kelly didn't come home last night. And I was like, um, 
he's like, do you want to report him missing or something? I was like, no, one of his friends just kind of said that they were at a party on Stearns Road and that there's a body out there. My aunt was like confused and crying, like, what is going on? And Stan was like, oh, no, no, uh, calm down. He's like, uh, uh, describe Kelly. And I described him. He's like, isn't your son mixed? And I was like, yeah, but he doesn't look it. He looks Mexican, you know. And, and he said, um, well, no, the guy they found out there is like a 20-year-old white male, Carrie, you know, a very hairy 20-year-old white male. Going home. He'll come home soon. And I was like, oh, Kelly looks white Mexican. I was like, and he's really, really hairy, Stan, for even 16 years old. All my kids are. And <coughs> I described what he had on. Mm-hmm. And when I said something about the ball cap, he said, hold on a minute. Stay right there. And he gave me a cell phone with Wood County Sheriff's on it. And he just described to them what you just said to me. And I did. And that's when they told me to go home, that they would be there. While I was laying on the porch, pacing, and my friend Ginger came, and I'm like crying, like, he should just come walking on the sidewalk any minute now. Shiloh pulled in to my driveway mm-hmm. in the alley, and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And I explained to Shiloh, and he got teary-eyed. And I said, do you think what is coming out there? And he probably said, yeah. So I kind of knew before the detectives got there, the Shiloh was somebody kind of was like, I think it is scary. So I know Shiloh. Mm-hmm. So I have to wait for them to come for me to, um, uh, confirm it was him mm-hmm. and go see him and stuff. I would like to point out at this time that we will not be including names of certain people, mostly because they've either been cleared or in this case, his high school girlfriend deserves her privacy and was not at the party. According to the coroner's ruling done by Douglas Hess, multiple blunt force traumas resulting in multiple fatal injuries happened to Kelly and that manner of death was accidental. They projected that the vehicle that hit him would have been going 60 to 70 miles per hour and heading westbound on Stearns Road. Something that we found interesting is that when Carrie received Kelly's belongings, he had his Walkman returned to her, but not his headphones due to the amount of damage and blood that was on them. However, the Walkman that he had in his pocket when he was hit by the car seemingly was in perfect conditions besides normal wear and tear. And the CD that he had in it was never recovered at that time. But when she talked to his friends, they ended up having it. And it's weird that his Walkman would have been in perfect condition because almost every bone in his body was broken, according to his mother. Yes, according to, actually, while we were looking into this, according to WTOL, it was a blue-green, early 1990s model. It could have been an Acura, a Civic, or an Accord. Um, And if you look up the Acura specifically, there is some plastic on the front of it, and it's not like a bra, but it's it's literally just a line of plastic, and it was reported that there was a ton of plastic on his clothing when he was found. Also, there was minimal evidence of any car parts besides the few paint chips and the plastic, which is why it is so weird that it was even a crime scene to begin with, I guess. Yeah, because when we spoke with Carrie, she even mentions, like, there's no skid marks in the street, there's no parts of the car left behind besides those little bits that were on his clothing. And if you're going 60 to 70 miles per hour, it doesn't matter what you hit, something's left behind. And especially, like, you know, 
Kelly was a taller young man. Mm-hmm. Like, and they even mistaken him to be an adult. So you're telling me there's nothing left behind, not a piece of the, the front bumper or any glass from like the headlights or anything at all. Like to me, that's super weird. Oh yeah, for sure. Very suspicious. And what's interesting about this is that if we want to believe that he walked with only a light jacket and 19.4 degrees that felt more like nine degrees, it would have taken him 54 minutes to walk to the area where he was found from that light that she says she left him. Now you have to factor in that he was intoxicated to what level we don't really know, but his mother said he didn't drink often. And more than that, he hated walking long distance to the point where he would ask his mom to drop him off at the library. That was only two blocks from their house. That was on union street at the time. And when you add in the weather to all of that, it doesn't really seem like it's logical that he would have walked 54 minutes in the opposite direction with no light. When it's freezing out. Yeah. There's just no way. And he knew where he lived. And the area where he was found, it was super dark. So like I said, he's not going to be walking the opposite area where there's minimal visibility. Mm-hmm. He was only 34 minutes from his house, which he he would not have likely turned around to go back to, to where he was found. You know, it just Completely out of the way. It was cl- yeah completely out of the way and not to mention he's probably really cold yeah especially like you said he wouldn't even walk to the library in good weather in good weather so you're telling me he walked a whole hour out of his way to nothing yeah that doesn't make sense so to me and many people that know this case that all seems fishy because if you add up the timeline, you know, she leaves him at 12.15 at the, she starts walking him around 12.15 to the light, you know, estimated, give or take some minutes. But, you know, let's round it up. He's now at the light at about 12.30 and then you have the motorist passing about 1.45. You know, that's still roughly 20 minutes that are unaccounted for and it just doesn't really make all that much sense to me. But I mean, like I said, timing could have been off. She could have mistaken the time. And they could have been, you know, talking, chit-chatting as they're leaving. You know, yeah. Those Especially if they were drinking, you could lose track of time easily. So, many people have their own theories of um, what may have happened. Some think that maybe he was picking, picked up, and driven out there for some reason, or he had an issue with someone at the party, and maybe it turned more sinister. Some believe that he was involved with people that were tied to drugs, but there's no weight to that either. And since there was no drugs in his toxicology, you can't really pay like paint this picture of a kid that was you know hanging out with drug dealers and who is some young thug because he's just not that yeah and yeah the apartment complex can sometimes be occupied by some seedy individuals but like i said you know you never know people's situation just because you have to live in you know a seedy area doesn't mean you're a seedy person well and just because you live in a bad area doesn't mean you're a bad person yeah like that's a pretty terrible assumption yeah so that's like when like other other people have their theories but like Again, their theories are speculation. There's nothing to it, but these are just some things that, like, I would like to point out. For sure. I also wonder if the accident was somewhere else because, and, like, maybe he was possibly dropped off at the location he was found. Because with the lack of evidence, I just cannot believe that the accident happened there. Because, like you said, there's no... Slamming on the brakes, skid marks. Nothing. And there's no yeah. fibers on the ground of the car that was obviously that hit him. There's nothing. So it just doesn't make sense that someone was going 60 to 70 miles per hour, hit someone, and there is nothing left behind. So either it was cleaned up, which I highly doubt because they were probably terrified and they 
flood the scene or my guess i i don't know if you want to say guess my theory could i truly believe that it happened somewhere else and they didn't find it they didn't find the evidence anywhere else and they didn't probably look because they were not thinking yeah i honestly i can get on board with that theory too but again like at the end of the day those are just our theories and these are theories of other people that you know know the case Mm -hmm. but those are just something that we'd like to point out for our listeners and oh and another thing really quick sorry no um, you're good is while we were talking to carrie she originally mentioned that and at the time that's when that car lot used to be open right there remember the car lot um i thought about it i was like well i watch tv you know i, was, I told the detective i was like can you go there there's a million dollars worth of cars out there you know there should be cameras there's are cameras so he's like you know what we'll go check so they did yeah, and they come back come back they, they would have showed him crossing Stones road yeah. The camera's right there. All them cars are right there. Yeah. All them lights. That's all, all lit up right there. That car, you're right, that was lit up too. So and not just the apartment. Did they say they saw him or no? No, the cameras were false cameras. So that was a dead end. From what we know about that night, the people at the party, initially they lied to the police. They said there was no alcohol, but when his toxicology came back, that's when the police went and re-interviewed these people. They're like, no, we, we know that there was alcohol there. But from the coroner's report even though he was 120 pounds it wasn't enough to impair him and he also didn't have any drugs so like in his system so again you know you can't really say that like he would have been so incoherent to walk all the way out into the middle of nowhere yeah or to even remember where he lived that's another thing because you know we talked in i've drank multiple times i'm 26 years old and i've never once forgotten where i've lived yeah and if he had as little of alcohol in his system, like the coroner says, he would not have just forgotten, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the kids were all questioned again, and then they they did end up admitting, yeah, there was alcohol, but they never, ever could prove who provided it. And also, some of the kids at the party ended up getting polygraphed once they turned 18, but nothing ever came of those polygraphs either. But please say that anyone in that was in that area that night is considered a suspect. And, you know, with the kids lying and... That's not abnormal. Abnormal. Come on. Of course, if you're 16, you get caught drinking, you're going to lie about it. And that's the thing. Like, I don't fault any of those kids for doing that because no one wants to get an underage. Yeah. And they're scared and they, they don't know what's going on. Their friend just passed was away. Murdered. Yeah. yeah. Murdered. And, you know, I, I totally understand why they would have lied or been scared. Yeah. What many people don't know, but it is important to mention that Kelly did have an issue with a boy at school. So when I said he was liked by almost everyone, he was. Except this one person. It's the only person that anyone ever knew of him having an issue with. And it was a boy that he almost got in a fight with at school and he was worried about it. And so the school officials knew about it. That Yeah, he- Carrie mentioned that she had gone to the... Or not the police, the the principal. principal. Because she was concerned because he didn't want to go to school. Because he was like, I don't want to fight, Mom. I don't want to get in trouble. Exactly. So she did bring that up to police. But before they even had time to even question him, his family moved him out of town. And he lived in Texas for the remainder of his high school career and some of his early 20s. And that happened before Kelly was even buried. Which is... You know, maybe initially they had, you know, planned to move there. Mm-hmm. But considering the rest of his family stayed behind and he didn't. Just moved. It's, it seems it's very strange. Co- strange. And I don't know if it's a coincidence, but, you know, we don't have the, enough proof to say otherwise. And 
Many of those kids that night that were at that party, they had instant issues. They had, they had long-term issues, too. A few of those partygoers had to transfer school or drop out and become homeschooled because they were bullied, and a lot of the kids in that town were calling them murderers. And Which is so sad. That's very sad, but it also makes me wonder why, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, also, though, kids are mean. Yeah. They're very mean, and they'll jump to conclusions and they act like they know everything and of course they do know a little bit more than i would say the adults because they go to school every day they are with those kids every day and they're hearing the rumors and the gossip but again there's all of those kids that were interviewed had like they were cleared so that's again why we're not including names because Mm -hmm. we don't want the rest of the world stalking these individuals that may have had nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. but i mean even carrie's daughter her oldest, I believe she said, Sierra, dropped out of school because she hated not seeing him there. Kelly and his sister, Sierra, were very close in age to the point where, like, they you didn't usually see one without the other, mm-hmm. according to Carrie. And she ended up getting homeschooled and doing online schooling because she just, she went into, a, like, a deep depression. And so we're going to let Carrie tell you herself about what has happened with her life, her kid's life, and how her parenting has changed, mm-hmm. in her own words. I don't know I say it. Since I have Kelly, we all got even closer. Mm-hmm. We're all really close. After that happened to him, I didn't want to work around any type of alcohol. Because I've never been a big drinker anyways, but I like to drink, you know, with my girlfriends or on the weekends or whatever. Mm-hmm. I knew when that happened, I couldn't work in no bar. Because I've seen depression from men and women in the bars when they were drinking. So I was like, I can't be around the alcohol because I know I'm going to start drinking. And it's free all day long here for me. It's all around me. Mm-hmm. So that did change. I ended up being, uh, even though I was in the bar working, I was in the bar trunk. But it changed a lot because then I came overbearing, I think, with them. So Leah always says, because of what happened to Kelly, I didn't have a teenage life. Because I wouldn't let her go anywhere. Because she was always the one that wanted to, can I go stay the night with this person? Can I go here with this person? Or this person's going to come down and go hang out. No, 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 I don't like her. Nope, nope, I don't like him. I don't like her. And she's like, why don't you like her? And then I'm supposed to try to pick her friends. And then she, and I, she's like, you can't pick my friends because of what ke- happened with Kelly and his friends. Sierra dropped out. And I had to home, have her homeschool because she couldn't even go to school anymore after it happened. I guess she said she went to school and all she thought about was Kelly. Kelly and Sierra are always really close. And she, so she went through a depression, you know. Um, and she still does. And now she's 30. And I could tell when, she's, when she gets like that, she gets bags on her eyes. And I just feel so bad because they, they were close. Because mm-hmm. um, I had, uh, how do I say this? Uh, they're not even a year apart. I had Kelly on July 29th and 89, and I had Sierra on July 16th and 1990. So they're the same age for 13 days. <laughs> so when they would have birthdays, Sierra would turn 14. Mm-hmm. Kelly's still 14, but 13 days later, he turned 15. Mm-hmm. So when they were that same age for 13 days, Kelly would be like, we're twins. We're twins for 13 days, he would tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. You know, one of the most heartbreaking things to me, other than the fact that Kelly's case is still unsolved and that his family still doesn't have any answers, is hearing Carrie talk about the day Kelly was buried. With Darius, you don't talk about it at all. I feel like that's very traumatic for someone. Yeah, because he turned eight that day of his 
the day of Kelly's funeral on March 6th, Derry's turned eight that day. And I didn't even realize it until later on that night. At home, he said, Mom, you know what today was? You know what today is? I'm like, Kelly's funeral? No, Mom, it's my birthday. Totally slipped all of our minds. Never even thought about it. Well, yeah, you had a... We were at a funeral instead of a birthday party for his eighth birthday. Nobody even thought. And I was like, oh, my God. It is his birthday. Never... And we always did big things for everybody's... Every year of somebody's birthday, you know. Like, he was just always so happy and just silly. And Kelly was a big, I don't know, movie buff. So if he liked the movie, he mocked every movie he liked. If there was something funny in it, he did it, and everybody would just laugh. They knew mm. exactly if it was something to do with um, Ace Ventura. He, he knew. He knew the lines. He knew the lines, yeah. Uh, he even liked his favorite, one of his favorite people was that, uh, the Crocodile Hunter. What was his uh, name? Ben... Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. Yeah, he, he like, loved him, and he swore down Kelly was a crocodile hunter, and like <laughs> he would wrestle with like my youngest boy Darius at the time when that happened. Darius was seven, and Kelly was sixteen. Well, Darius turned eight the day of Kelly's funeral, so like he would wrestle with them, and uh, it, it'd make Darius so mad because he'd pin him down and you know roll around on the floor with him, and Darius tried to get up, and Kelly wouldn't let him up, and and Kelly would say stuff like. It's a big croc, and the croc is biting me, Mom. Like, trying to talk like Edward. Uh, yeah, because he thought he was a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah, and just, he was a good kid. He never made fun of anybody. Never made fun of anybody. Because I remember one time, my daughter coming home from school saying that uh, there was a girl. Uh, I remember Sierra saying something. Like, she's got red hair, Mom, and she's got cross eyes. And I mind you, she's 15. 14, 15, and she's telling me, she's like, and everybody makes fun of her at school, they call her Cyclops, and she's a little bit bigger and stuff like that. She's like, but, um, Kelly, why do you do that? And he's like, do what? She's like, why do you walk with her down the hall and walk her to her class and to her locker? And he was like, because you guys, nobody should do that to her. Just mm-hmm. leave her alone. So he was that type that would... Protect people that he yeah, didn't even really yeah. know. So Sierra's like, she, Kelly walks her to class, Mom. And you're like, and, he's, yeah. yeah. And then on time I was in Kroger's and um, I was shopping. This is probably seven months, six, seven months after it happened to him. And there was a boy bagger bagging things up. And I could, you could tell him maybe he was autistic or something. And he's like, hey, you're Kelly Norman's mom. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, that was my friend. He used to walk me to class. Mm. So I thought, that's twice I've heard that now. And everybody would tell me he would do things like, um, how he got away with it, I have no clue. But they said he would skip whatever class, and Kelly would sit for all three lunches. <laughs> and he, he could eat and eat, and this boy would have never put on any weight ever anywhere between 116 and 120. It stayed there. But they would say that he would have A period lunch, B period lunch, and, oh, Kelly sat with him say, C period. I'm like, he's an A, sis. And she's like, oh, he's all three lunches, Mom. I'm like, how? <laughs> oh, that is oh, funny. That's so funny. <laughs> And there was a movie, I don't know what movie, I can't remember what it's called, but there was a saying in it, and I guess it went, you got a dollar for a poor black guy? Kelly would do that. And Mr. Grant said Kelly would come up to him at school and say, you got a dollar for a poor black guy? <laughs> give Kelly a dollar, go, go to lunch, go away, Kelly. But it was a thing about him, you got a dollar for a poor black guy? Kelly, you don't even look black. 
Stop it, yo. I don't know. Did you see any pictures of him? I saw him. He's so handsome. He's very handsome. And um, so during the funeral, everybody would say, talk about how he would just leave somewhere with you guys and be like, you got a dollar for a poor black guy. So he'd just ante up all these dollars, I guess, from everybody all day long. (laughs) That's how he got his three lunches. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So at the funeral, everybody took black markers and wrote on the dollars you got a dollar for a poor black guy and there was just hundreds of dollar bills in there Aww. in his hand with this wrote on the marker mm-hmm. you got a dollar for a poor black guy they had made a board for him at the school above his locker um and i remember i had to go out there and get all that stuff and they had a i still have it um dollars stapled to the board with that saying on when black marker <laughs> with his pictures and stuff on it that kids had of him he always had jokes and just he had the loudest laugh, like, and Aaliyah has it. And she, everybody's like, her laugh makes everything so much greater. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Kelly's was like that too. You know, we, we hear Carrie talk about how, like, Kelly is this amazing person and how he had so many friends and everything. It just baffles me that, like, you know, it's been 15 years. We just passed his anniversary date, and he's had three different detectives covering his case and yeah those things happen people retire people have illnesses and the last known detective she can't really get a hold of him she calls and Mm -hmm. but the original detectives like they said that they were always you know on top of things just staying in contact she said they were really good about it but now like there's nothing that's really shaken out it's been 15 years and the one little break that they did end up having turned out to be you know paint chips no one has come forward with anything. And, yeah, I've always... Well, the weird thing, though, really quick, is in that article, it says they have a new lead, and they it was like they were indicating someone came forward and gave them a lead, but then nothing came from it, other than they could possibly say it was those three cars this year, this color. Well, it wasn't even that year. They gave, like, a little span of, like, okay, it could have been this and this color, but blue-green, you know, was it blue? Was it green? Mm-hmm. Was it blue-green? Like, you don't know. Yeah. And I don't know. It just, I don't, it's just all these unknowns, and it really bothers me because Kelly's case was one of, the reason I wanted to cover it is because I was riding the bus the day everybody skipped school to go to his funeral. Yeah, I remember, um, like, the eulogy book where everybody signs it. I remember uh, Ryan Hobbs, the funeral director, telling me that he had to add more pages to his eulogy book. He's like, I've never written on a pages in eulogy book before. And um, he's like, there was over 500 people here. Wow. And then uh, we went from the um, honing funeral home? Yeah, yeah. Man hair. Man hair. Oh, God. I'm going to mix up. There's so many hair down now. I know. I know. <laughs> the home, right I know here. the main one yeah, over man here. Yeah, The one on uh, County Line. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That one. And we went from there the, the next day uh, and took him from there over to uh, Nazarene Church. Mm-hmm. And that's when they had, like, they closed the casket and then everybody just come to the church and gathered. They had to open upstairs to the church. That's a pretty good sized church. And, um, there were so many vehicles that they said they had ran out of um, with the things that you put oh, on the vehicle for, to drive to the um, cemetery. And um, and we had a limo, and I remember my mom and dad rode with me, and I just remember the look on my mom's face, and she's just kept looking. She goes, I've been to a lot of funerals before, and I've never seen one this big. She goes, my mom would just be beside herself. My mom, she kept talking about her mom. And uh, 
we got down here to County Line, and I remember they had to shut County Line straight down to cross because there was so it was so long. Mm-hmm. They had to stop the traffic from coming. Wow. And my mom was like, "I've never seen them stop traffic for her funeral." My mom was just like, she was amazed. She's like, "He's only 16, and all these people." And so you could tell this kid was loved, and mm-hmm. he was like, how she says, like, you know, this is one of the first things that happened to a lot of these kids where their first incident of loss their first trauma their first trauma so i don't know it just you, well and it's local it's local to you to especially me. yeah i i mean I, I i used to drive down that road every day to go to i went to arcadia so i would drive down that road leaving Fostoria to go to arcadia to go to high school myself you know I can't even imagine being 16 years old and losing someone that mm-hmm. was close to me or even not close, you know? He went to a bigger school, but you think, oh my God, so-and-so died. I spoke to so-and-so. I passed him every yep. day. I sat in the same spot on the bleachers that so-and-so did. And I think about how I used to go to Fostoria High School like basketball games. I could have been sitting in the bleachers he sat in. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me wonder, and it, it honestly really upsets me that, like, when Carrie talks about how, you know, I go grocery shopping and I think, is the person standing next to me the person that killed my son? Yeah. Is it, you know, it could have been an accident, but, you know, it's been 15 years and you can't be a decent enough human to give this lady and her family closure. Mm-hmm. And then I... I couldn't even sit through that interview. Both of us had tears in our yeah. eyes listening to t- her talk about it. And Kelly, so Kelly is someone that I think about all the time. I'll be driving and I'll be like, I need to make sure I extra watch, you know, because I don't want to be that person that takes someone's loved one away. Yeah. And while there were many suspicious things that we found while looking into Kelly's case and, you know, listening to Carrie talk about certain things that weren't involved in the papers, um, We also came across another case that really stuck out to us when we were searching for other cases to cover. And so here is another vehicular homicide case that involves Kyle Gutierrez in Oberlin, Ohio. And there's not as many suspicious things in this one. Correct. According to the Ohio Attorney General's website, on February 8th, 2018, at approximately 1.54 a.m., 22-year-old Kyle Gutierrez was located laying in the middle of the southbound lane on North Main Street in the area of the 280 North Main Street, where he was determined to be deceased. It is believed that Kyle was struck by a vehicle traveling on the southbound on the North Main Street, which fled the area. During the course of the investigation, several individuals were interviewed and many leads were followed up, but no charges were ever filed in the death of Kyle Gutierrez. When researching this case, I came across many family members of Kyle's, and I was actually able to connect with his older sister, Veronica. She was able to provide me with more information about Kyle's case that wasn't directly stated in the articles online. When speaking with her, I came to find out that the Gutierrez family is no stranger to loss. They've endured loss of their mother and other siblings, and what I've noticed is while talking with Veronica, she's still one of the most positive people I have spoken with. His sister describes Kyle as the type of person that cared about everyone. He would try to buy expensive gifts for the kids in the family. He got them exactly what they asked for, knowing it would cause him struggle. But he didn't care as long as he got to see smiles on their faces. And when I originally looked Kyle up, I found his LinkedIn account. And you can tell he's a hard worker and willing to do what it took to be successful. He spoke about wanting to find a good job and how he wanted to eventually buy a car and get his own place. When I spoke with Veronica about Kyle, 
I asked her if he had any issues with anyone, and as far as she knew, she that he didn't have any major issues with anyone. What she did know was that Kyle and his brother were leaving a friend's house that night, and when they parted ways, that's about the time the hit and run occurred. The family believes due to the timing, the person that hit him was most likely drunk, and they weren't doing the speed limit either based off the injuries that Kyle endured. While the person driving continued to flee the area, it took six minutes for Kyle to pass away from his injuries that the driver inflicted, which, well, that's, you know, I don't know in that town where the hospital's located, but, you know, who's to say someone couldn't have provided life-saving measures on him or, you know, CPR or anything in that six minutes. I know that sounds like a very short amount of time, but six minutes can, you can apply pressure. You can do anything to stop bleeding or, you know, like, who's to say that he couldn't have been saved? Yeah, well, in six minutes of laying there alone, dying. Laying there alone, dying. Exactly. When I tried to find the speed limits in the area that he was hit, it was 35 miles per hour. And I would like to say that Kyle didn't have a car at the time, so he walked almost everywhere he went. He knew the area well, and because it was February um, and it was snowy, he was most likely walking the street because he didn't have boots and the sidewalks weren't shoveled. And the town's very tiny where the incident occurred, and it happened around the middle part of the town. When I asked about potential evidence, such as like paint chips, like we talked about in Kelly's case. Originally, the answer was yes, but they didn't want to disclose that information to the public originally because they didn't want the person who did it to flee the area. But when Veronica recently called the Overland Police detective in charge, they said that they were back to square one because what they originally thought were paint chips were not. I just don't understand how they thought it were it was paint chips and then they were like oh just kidding it's not i know like to tell the family this is what it is and now all of a sudden it's not so then what was it well not only that but to not even tell them because she called them she called after i had a conversation with her so she they didn't even tell her oh by the way what we thought were paint chips weren't right she had to call and get that information which is pretty dang pathetic in my opinion i i would agree however they do say they're looking to other avenues Whatever those may be, we don't know. Other people close to Kyle have mentioned that they were unhappy with the investigation because where he was hit, um, there would have been cameras able to catch the vehicle, whether they were going to or from. So they would have had to pass uh, a liquor store if they continued to go the way that they hit Kyle, which had cameras. Or if they were heading out of town, they would have passed through the main intersection, which also had cameras. And... um, as far as I've, I know and the person that provided me this information who is really close with Kyle's family, they said that those were never checked. And if they were, they weren't checked in time because they never caught anything. Wow. And they've never disclosed anything either. In both Kelly and Kyle's cases, it makes me wonder if either of these incidents would have happened if it was in a bigger city with better resources and more money. Or if they were both white, would we even be telling you these stories? Because unfortunately this is just how it is in america in small towns yeah things get pushed under the rug they don't get checked they don't get taken seriously especially when it comes to race i would tend to agree because when you look at the reward for kelly one thousand dollars for a 16 year old kid who you know 15 years ago you're telling me that reward has never increased it why was it a thousand dollars at the time Mm -hmm. well and carrie even mentioned 
it almost made me feel like nobody because I don't have the money and the means mm-hmm. for certain things. Which is crap. So I was just kind of swept. He was kind of swept. Mm-hmm. Because I remember uh, when it happened, what the detective that was on the case then said, hey, why don't you guys do like a, a benefit or a dinner or go around to businesses on Foster Ridge and you know a lot of people and see if, like if somebody can donate towards towards the uh, victims the uh, raise the money up for, for reward. reward and he's like I hate to say it but money talks the detective told me that he said money talks you know mm-hmm. I want to know before I die too I want my kids back they don't have peace because I don't have peace mm-hmm. they really don't so they'll live the rest of their life without them knowing what I didn't know mm-hmm. and I don't want to leave them with that which I'm sorry excuse me you're telling me that if she had more money they'd be more people would be more willing to help why it's a 16 year old kid it's a 16 year old that kid that was killed and he had no prior issues with the law it's not like he was some thug that was doing these terrible things and even if he was it wouldn't matter exactly like just because you're a bad person doesn't mean you get to be killed exactly period period and the thing is is like kelly had his whole life ahead of him kyle had his whole life ahead of him and what they're both cold right now so if you change it into you know me or you and we're in perrysburg ohio do you think that we would have had our stuff solved in you know one year time record time i believe so so when i was looking into both of these cases it made me really curious about statistical information involving hit and run victims and how often these cases can be solved and it really bothered me because I couldn't find anything that specifically stated, oh, X amount of percentage of whether or not something is solved. And so I ended up just speaking with my friends in law enforcement. And so they said, it is really, really hard to figure out hit and run incidents unless there are witnesses. And even if there are witnesses, then you have to prove, okay, well, if they saw this person driving this this vehicle, mm-hmm. easy. But... If they don't see that, we don't know. If who was driving the car? Yeah, who yeah. was driving the car? If there's cameras, okay, now you have the vehicle and, you know, depending on how close, you might have the license plate number or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you still have to prove who was driving that vehicle because you don't know. So many people borrow each other's cars. Oh, for sure. And that's one of the things that really, like, stood out to me in Kelly's case is, like, you, you have these kids at a party and they're all 16 years old. Was it mom and dad's car? Was it grandma and grandpa's car? Was it aunt and uncle's car that they borrowed? And with that, were all the kids vetted to see who had what cars? And then also, could you vet... Because none of those kids own their own cars. You can't... No. In Ohio, you anywhere. You have to be 18 to be able to apply for your whatever, all the information for your car to get the title and stuff. So, obviously, you need warrants to go check out everybody's cars and stuff like yeah. that. But that that was one thing that stuck out to me. So... I did end up finding something that kind of like fulfilled my my need to know, mm-hmm. which was done um, by the Triple A's Foundation for Traffic and Safety, and it had information on hit and run incidents that resulted in damages and fatalities, and this was included in their research brief of hit and run crashes, prevalence, contributing factors, and countermeasures. So. 
a short synopsis of this research brief was that fleeing is 4.4 times more likely to happen between midnight and 4 a.m. compared to those that happen at 8 a.m. to 11.59 a.m. Similarly, pedestrians involved in fatal hit-and-run crashes are less than half as likely to occur during the daylight, probably because there's witnesses and things like that going on. Yeah. And the increase at night has been um, thought to be because of lower visibility, increased, and that kind of increases the chances of you being able to escape without witnesses. Mm-hmm. And also, nighttime drivers are more likely to be involved in risky behavior, such as DUIs, driving without a license, and that that may turn into them likely to flee a crash scene because they're like, oh, well, no one saw me. And also, I don't want to be in trouble for this as well as doing exactly. this yeah. issue thing. As well as doing this hit and run. Also, I found out, which is also really interesting to me, but it kind of makes a little bit more sense too. So fatal hit and run crashes are more likely to happen on roads with lower speed limits rather than ones with higher speed limits because the lower speed limit areas are like you know driving through residential neighborhoods going around turns that is busy yeah that Mm -hmm. are not as busy and areas that are like curvy roads that have bends overpasses ramps and things like that versus you know highways because when you're going 60 to 70 miles per hour when you have an a collision you're gonna have it's less likely that you're gonna be able to drive away from those accidents you know scot-free oh for sure well, and most likely someone's going to see it. Oh, absolutely. And so I just thought those were some interesting things to mention while we were covering this case. Well, and like you were saying, there's when there's a lower speed limit, there's more likely to be people walking mm-hmm. um, and those types of things, too, which would obviously because most people are not walking on the highway. Right. So there could be a hit and run. More likely an area where people yeah. are found. Exactly. Whatever the reason was for both parties to flee the scenes of Kelly and Kyle, ultimately are unknown. There could have been multiple factors such as drunk driving, no license, afraid of the cost, maybe even transporting illegal substances, or just being in trouble. But at the end of the day, there are two families that deserve justice for their loved ones. In both cases, these young men were, in many ways, the bright light in their family and friends' lives. If you or anyone you know have information about either of these cases, please report them to Crime Stoppers. For Kelly specifically, it's 1-800-54-CRIME. And for Kyle specifically, please call the Oberlin Police Department at 440-774-1061. Both numbers will also be linked below and on our Instagram page at Crime Connections. If you have a case you'd like us to cover or want to reach out, you can by direct messaging us on Instagram or email us at crimeconnections at gmail. Thanks so much for joining us and come back next week for another episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you.